Welcome in to episode four of the Put It on the Board podcast. Coming up later this show, we have Leary Garcia no longer on the team. Who made the 26-man roster? And was it smart for the White Sox to get rid of Leary or Jake Berger or some of the guys that didn't make the cut? Then it's our 2023 season preview. Mitchell Kaminsky, a fan-sided and sports mockery, an old friend of mine, joins the show to go over awards, superlatives, what we expect to see or not see from the White Sox this year, and ultimately, where will they finish in the AL Central? Is it uh, the end of an era, or is the window just getting started? Is this the bounce-back season that White Sox fans have been hoping and dreaming of for 2023? We're three days away from opening day. The season is really upon us. It is go time. It's time to do it. So, Without further ado, let's put some crooked numbers up on that board. You can put it on the board, yeah! Yeah! This is episode four of the Put It On The Board podcast. Three days away from opening day, Monday, March 27th, White Sox baseball is almost here. Roster news is in, and Leary Garcia is gone. Noah, Leary Garcia is no longer on the Chicago White Sox. Round of applause. Round of applause for the White Sox and Rick Hahn for doing it. How are we feeling? Oh, my gosh. I never thought I would hear those words, to be honest with you. I, I can finally delete all 45 of my accounts that are solely dedicated to cyberbullying Leary Garcia. Oh, um, oh, it's just – it's it's such a refreshing feeling. I, like – and we'll probably talk about this a little bit later with our guest, but it's just it's it's a change from years past where a guy was here just because they were paying him to be here. They're finally getting rid of players that have no business being here. And it's just it's great to see. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it, Leary Garcia has had some productive years in a White Sox uniform. He obviously I will be forever indebted to. Uh, Leary for what he gave all White Sox fans in game three against the Houston Astros, just a, a very special moment in a lot of our fandoms. But the way that Tony La Russa, uh, began to use him, the way that the White Sox paid him following that 2021 season and that playoff moment did not justify, like was not justified by the play on the field and seeing him batting third and in the lineup every day was just so deflating and defeating and infuriating. And while you could make an argument that there is a baseball case for Leary to be on the roster right now, I agree with you. It is just refreshing to know that we are free of having to watch uh, that on our televisions and we can move on to some new faces and some potentially new energy that comes with them, namely Hanser Alberto, who I think we're expecting to make the team here. Romy Gonzalez, who we know is going to make the opening day roster. Um, and Andrew Benintendi, Oscar Colas, who will be the opening day right fielder. So, yeah, it, it is a new era of White Sox baseball, and it is one without Leary Garcia. And it makes Tim Anderson the longest tenured member of the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, sometimes I 
get a little bit too much time to think. Uh, and I remember, or I start to convince myself like, oh, maybe Tony LaRusso wasn't that bad. Maybe Leary Garcia wasn't that bad. But then I'm reminded, like you just reminded me, that Leary Garcia batted third for the White Sox last year. I think it was more than once too. Like I, he At was least up at the once. top of the lineup a couple times. Yeah, and I, I remember something like that, or I see the White Sox tweet a picture of him, and I'm just filled with just anger that shouldn't be there. You know, I, I shouldn't about, get this you, upset about a baseball team and just seeing a guy's face who, like you said, had some good years, is known for that big playoff home run, of course, one of the greatest moments that we've had in past years of White Sox baseball. But I don't know, just something about Leary Garcia just gives me 2022 White Sox vibes. And personally, I never want to think about that team again. That's, I mean, that's what it is. It, it's, you know, ridding yourself of the ick of last year's team. And it's the uh, left-handed Leary one-handed wave strike three at a ball that's down at his shins. And you're just like, what are we, what are we even doing? So uh, yeah, I mean, pretty quick intro here. Just wanted to talk about the news that came out today. But uh, today, Noah, is our White Sox season preview. So Mitchell Kaminsky, um, you may know him from the 108 tournament and the run that he's going on right now. I know him uh, as a an old college friend that I go way back with. And you might have seen his stuff in Fan Sighted or Sports Mockery. He's a great baseball fan, a great White Sox fan that uh, he knows his stuff just as well as anybody. So we have Mitchell Kaminsky on to do a 2023 White Sox season preview with awards, superlatives, record predictions, and uh, some hot takes mixed in there. Let's get over to Mitch. Okay, it is prediction time. It is preview time. The full Chicago White Sox 2023 season preview here on Put It On The Board podcast. And we are joined, ladies and gentlemen, uh, by a fantastic guest. It is Mitchell Kaminsky, Mitch Kaminsky 99, uh, Mitch Madness, March Madness. He He's upsetting people, busting brackets, and he's joining us today. MLB writer for Fansided, White Sox writer, Sports Mockery, and the co-host of the Pinwheels, Ivy, Pinwheels and Ivy podcast. Uh, Mitchell, uh, thank you for doing this, first of all. It's always good to talk ball with you. Uh, an old friend of mine that I just uh, always appreciate your insight on, our beloved Chicago White Sox. Well, first off, thanks for having me. After that introduction, it's a little bit of pressure now to perform on the podcast with all the bracket busting going on in the 108 tournament. Are button. you? St- is that still alive? I didn't want to – I was trying to find it before here. I couldn't figure out. Are you still – I'm Anton? still in it. So like, I thought I was in the clear because I won my region. I'm like, okay, I'm done. And they're like, no, there's an elite eight now. And I got to go against Herb uh, Lawrence, who's like an actual media guy. So I'm pretty, it's well, going to be an uphill battle, but I, I was happy we won our region. I'm playing with house money at this point. Hey, yeah, hey man, made... if it's, if it's anything like the actual NCAA tournament, I think you got a great chance. Hey, who knows? We'll see. Actually, funny story. I remember speaking, going back to Sam's point, how we, we go way back. I remember our first day we were at Bradley. Um, it was later, like the first day, like after like they had like an assembly later for like orientation, but like students just arrived on campus. Yeah. I was eating in the cafeteria and I had a Charlotte Knights hat on and he comes by. He's like, oh, nice hat. I was like, no way. You actually like know what this is? He's like, oh yeah. Like, I rem- like yeah. That guy. <laughs> you had all the, uh, you had all the hats. You had like all the old Knights gear and stuff. You were, yeah, that was big time. Uh, 
those were the days back when Michael Kopech was still just a farmhand and and we were waiting on his debut, highly anticipated debut. Um, And now here we are. Uh, The prospects are here. The prospects are up. The window is opened and closed question mark and now maybe cracked. And where are the White Sox? We don't know. That's what we're talking about today. Uh, I, I gave you guys a list of some awards and superlatives, I suppose, that I think will be fun to go over instead of your generic, here's a season preview and what we think could happen. I thought we could just, you know, slap some labels on these things. So things like the team MVP to the best call up to the Johnny hustle award for the uh, team's best hustle. We've got bold predictions. I don't even know where you guys want to start. Do you just want to start off the top at, at team MVP? It's kind of hard to transition into some specific guys here, but uh, the I think the story of the White Sox, as you both would agree, this season is going to be the comeback players and, and kind of the comeback story, the chip on the shoulder. And the way that this era of White Sox baseball will be defined is based on what they do this season. So that's kind of what's at stake. Do either one of you guys have something that you're just kind of itching to get off your chest to like to, to kick things off here? Well, there's some big roster moves today, but I feel like we'll get into that with some of the later superlatives. So well, I can we can get, off. we can get into the roster moves if we need to. Yeah. I didn't know if we were going to jump into that or just do the predictions, but so let's go into the roster moves, right? So we have the bench, which Noah and I, we gave our roster predictions a couple weeks ago, uh, Leary Garcia, not on the team. So you can cross him out from like your fan favorite award, perhaps maybe team MVP. Uh, If you were going to pick Leary for that, don't, he is no longer on the roster. Uh, Jake Berger, not on the team. Romy Gonzalez is on the team. Hanser Alberto is on the team. Uh, Gavin Sheet, Sebi Zavala is the bench. And then Nick Avila, who I think everybody thought was going to make uh, the bullpen, the major league bullpen as a rule five draft pick, not on the roster and Gregory Santos, presumably getting the last bullpen spot. So Noah, your thoughts real quick on the, uh, the roster moves here. So a few surprises, but overall glorious day, Leary's gone. Yeah. I, I tweeted earlier that this is the happiest day of my life. Uh, maybe a little bit of a, <laughs> an exaggeration there, Lightly. but um Anyone who knows me knows that I am not a Leary Garcia fan, never have been. Um, And I was pretty upset when they signed him to that three-year deal before last season to begin with. Um, But honestly, it's refreshing to me. It really is because uh, a lot of people kind of assumed, you know, Leary Garcia is going to be on the team because he's under contract. He's got the two years left. Jerry Reinsdorf is not one to just eat money when he doesn't have to. And so I think a lot of people assumed that, while well, Leary Garcia is going to be here. Um, but I think it's very refreshing to see Rick Hahn made those comments. Uh, he was on White Sox talk with Chuck and he said, we're going to keep the 26 best players. And I think it's good to see him following up on that comment with actually doing that. Um, I think it shows that both Rick and Pedro Griffol have a lot of pull when it comes to who they want on this roster and how they want this team to look. So I think, I think uh, for someone, for fans that have been frustrated the past couple of years with, you know, the Tony LaRusa hire and power seemingly being taken out of Rick Hahn's hands, I think this is refreshing to see and I'm happy about it. 
Mitch, are you concerned at all about the idea? I'm, I'm not sure it's been officially confirmed, but Billy Hamilton not on the roster. Like Jake Marisnik is Marisnik is not going to be on the team. So your bench is what I said of Sheets, Zavala, Gonzalez, and uh, Alberto. Is there a concern for you that there's no real like outfielder in that group? Is that is that worrisome? Yeah, I'm really actually so. I agree with you to a point with Garcia. I think it was refreshing that they're going to take the 26 best guys and it's sending a message that performance matters. Like we know we're paying you, but like your performance is going to mean something. So that was refreshing to see, but then they take Gonzalez on the roster, which was surprising to me because if you're going to take Hans or Alberto, you got your utility infield guy. And I know like people are saying, well, you're leaving Berger off because of the defense. But you already have Hanser, who's going to be playing the multiple positions in the infield as your utility guy. You really don't have a fourth outfielder. Like, I know Gonzalez can play the outfield, but he's not a good outfielder. I feel like if you, at that point, you might as well just keep Garcia, who can switch hit. Because as bad as Garcia was last year, Gonzalez wasn't much better. People liked him because he hustled, and that was refreshing to see. But he wasn't a good hitter. And this he was has been my in the minor leagues. This has been my take on Romy Gonzalez. I'm, I'm actually really refreshed by that because – I keep looking at, and I want the guy to be good. I like him. You know, I, I'm rooting for him. He's the kind of player that I really enjoy. But yeah, I keep looking in the mirror being like, guys, what are we like? We're making this guy out to be some top prospect that like can't miss or, or for a while, the starting second baseman, like he has not proven himself in the major leagues or even in Charlotte for, to give me a reason to be like, well, he's guaranteed a roster spot. Now he's played well the last two weeks or so since coming back from his injury uh, in the spring. And I guess that earned him his spot and the positional versatility puts him on the team over a guy like Jake Berger, who is stuck at corner infield and designated hitter. But uh, we'll probably see Berger at some point this year, but uh, I actually think that's a very, very strong take out of you uh, because Yeah, I want Romy to do well, but I have a hard time seeing it. And if he's not a good defensive outfielder, you need one of those guys off a bench late in the game. And where are you going to turn? Marisnik has a better glove. Hamilton's faster. Like, I agree. You probably shouldn't keep him on it. But and like even like Leary, like I like Leary more than most. And I admit he's not like good. But I think there's value with Garcia because as bad as he was last year, like the years prior, he was respectable. He's had some good years. Tony like misused him. So like I'm not I'm fine with them leaving him off the roster, but it feels like you're gonna take the best guys like Garcia or Gonzalez wasn't one of them, and Berger wrong place wrong time with this roster, but like he's hitting the crap out of the ball. I feel like he need the pop. I I feel like he got screwed. Yeah, well, so the Leary thing is interesting too. Um, the the good part about taking Leary off the roster for me is not even as much of a baseball thing as it is a vibes thing. Like there is a baseball argument for Leary Garcia to be on this roster. But I think you really need to like completely cleanse yourself of the Tony LaRusso White Sox. And, and yeah. Leary Garcia is somebody that is so attached to Tony LaRusso and the lineups that he would put out with regularity that it was, it, it's just gross. I don't want to see him. I don't want him on my television screen. And it can be nice and refreshing sometimes to have a fresh face, I think, for uh, the coaches and for the fans and probably for Rick Hahn and, and company too. Noah, you oh, you sorry. disagree. Noah disagrees a little bit on Romy Gonzalez. I know, like I know that he was a big advocate about him making the team. If you wanted to go into uh, your pushback on on the Romy slander, I guess. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, you guys are right. Romy Gonzalez really hasn't shown at the major league level, in particular, that he belongs here. But 
there's been a lot of praise about his offseason. Um, he he spent most of the offseason in Miami working with Luis Robert and working with Mike Tozar, uh, the new minor league field coordinator with the White Sox. Um, he also, in my opinion, is just – he can't be worse than Leary, I don't think. Last I mean, year Leary, right? I last mean... year Leary, right. I mean, Leary, like you said, Leary's had some productive seasons in the past, and Romy Gonzalez maybe isn't – quite as versatile defensively as Leary. He may not be as much of a natural outfielder as Leary is, but I'm not convinced Leary's really a competent outfielder either. Um, so in my opinion, I mean, there it may not work. There may not be a whole lot more upside with Romy Gonzalez, but I think worst case scenario, he's Leary Garcia from last year. Whereas, I mean, Leary Garcia at this point in his career is just not even putting up productive major league quality at bats anymore. So I, I think there's intriguing upside. I, I think that Romy Gonzalez has more power. Um, and I think that if he gets some plate appearances, we'll see what all the hype was about this off season. So I'm at the very least intrigued, I would say. I got some interesting tea here for you. Right before I came on the show, I tweeted, uh, got, I was like, I basically like, I understand why they left Garcia off the roster, but taking um, Gonzalez over Berger is bullshit. Ashlyn Berger just liked the tweet. So ah, little, little tea little, going. Little drama. Not happy. The Chicago White Sox wives club. Uh, maybe some little uh, unrest. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to try and get Burgatron on the show here, man. I'm going to try and see if he will uh, sometime down the line later this year, if he's uh, down to hop on the podcast. Uh, the Valley runs deep. A good Valley there product go. out of Missouri yep. State. So, uh, yeah, I'm a big Jake Berger fan as well. I've been advocating for him for a while, and I'm devastated that he's not on this team. Uh, I can't wait for the day that we get that Jake Berger has been recalled from AAA Charlotte, and he goes yep. straight into the lineup and probably hits a couple bombs. But, all right. It won't we know be long. What, yeah, maybe not, you know, right? We'll have a couple guys in the hospital by – by April 15th and we'll have Burgertron in the lineup every day. So, all right. We know what the team is going to look like at least on paper for opening day, but what will the team actually look like on the field? Uh, how will they perform? Is this the bounce back year that white Sox fans are hoping it will be? So let's get into these predictions. Let's get into these awards. And I'm just going to start at the top with uh, what we're going to save records and like, you know, playoffs results division standings all of that stuff for the end but let's just go from the top down I want to start with team MVP uh interested in seeing where you guys took this uh but if you guys are predicting and the White Sox are giving out a most valuable player trophy for their best player across the board in 2023 who gets it at the end of this year I'll tell I'm going with Eloy Jimenez here I think not only could he be a team MVP, I think he could be uh, AL MVP. Now, the reason, like, with Jimenez, people don't realize it is because he's always hurt. He's just never on the field. And it reminds me a little bit of, like, Anthony Davis with the Lakers, where he doesn't he doesn't look like – if you were to go down the line of, like, White Sox players and you say, like, which one works the hardest in the offseason, Eloy probably wouldn't be on the list because he shows up uh, – he looks a little bit out of shape. And I think that's where a lot of the injuries come from. This offseason – came and slimmed down. It looked like he was putting in work. He was motivated by the fact they wanted to put him as a DH. And when you look at the production, when he's on the field, like he was putting up MVP caliber numbers when he returned last season, his rookie year, 31 bombs. He can stay healthy a full season. He's going to be raking. I mean, we've seen what he can do. Like 31 homers for a rookie year, 
silver slugger the next year. And then obviously the injuries, but he was on a tear second half of the season. And I think because he took that extra step to take care of himself more during the off season and really dedicate um, himself to his body and get in better shape, you're going to see him for more games than we have uh, his entire career. And he's going to, the numbers are going to reflect that. Yeah. He, he's a guy for sure. That is kind of like undersold because of, of the injuries, but when you can't question his production on the field, his 162 game average, uh, this is from baseballreference.com is uh, 276 with 36 home runs, 108 RBIs, and an 831 OPS. That is his 162-game uh, average. So no question, the pop is there. He has 40 home run potential if he can stay on the field and get some consistent at-bats together. It's just, you know, will he ever find like be able to be that guy for 130 or 140 games? Uh no, I know you share a lot of the same points on Eloy. Is that where you went with your MVP as well? It is, and I hope that at some point during these awards, uh, we have a little bit of a disagreement because uh, if we agree on everything, that won't make for a very interesting podcast. But I, uh, I do agree with Mitchell on this one. I had Eloy Jimenez as my team MVP as well. Um, I think he's exactly right. People forget how good of a hitter Eloy Jimenez is because he's not on the field. Um, getting him out of the outfield primarily. And I think he will end up playing some outfield some, I don't think we're going to completely avoid that, but getting him as the primary DH uh, with the signing of Benintendi, hopefully will help him stay on the field. Like Mitchell said, he slimmed down a little bit. He's a little bit more athletic. So hopefully we will keep him on the field. And I think that people are going to remember this year, how good of a hitter he is. I think when healthy, he is overall the best hitter on this team. Well, you you said we aren't going to disagree. I haven't gotten to go yet. That's where all the disagreement <laughs> usually comes from is from out of my mouth. Um, I do not have Eloy Jimenez as my team MVP. I have uh, the team MVP last year, the unquestioned best player on this roster. You might not think of him as MVP because he uh, isn't uh, one of your nine guys in the field every day, but I'm taking Dylan Cease because uh, it, if you are making a list of the top 100 players in baseball right now, Dylan Cease is the highest Chicago White Sox and maybe the only Chicago White Sox that, that cracks that list. He was the backbone of that starting rotation last season and really kept them in the fight. Him and Lance Lynn kept them in the fight uh, late into September because of what they were able to do in the second half. A 220 ERA uh, in 184 innings. He struck out 227 batters, a career high for Dylan Cease. And of course, he is just, uh, I believe he's what, 27? Yeah, 27 years old. So right entering this prime of his career, you know, he's had some hiccups in, in spring training. But I believe in Dylan Cease. I believe in the stuff that even when he's not at his best, he'll find a way to get out. And I, I think if he repeats that, he will be unquestionably the best player and the most valuable player the White Sox have. I don't disagree with anything you said, but are you a little concerned about any regression? It's hard to hold the guy to the standard that he was last year. Like he was otherworldly number wise. I think that's going to be really hard to repeat even for a guy of his caliber. I uh, no, I agree. I do think regression is imminent for him, but uh, I still think a regressed Dylan Cease is the best player on the White Sox. Like I, I think if he has a, you know, that 220 becomes 280 over the same amount of innings. You, he, you know, he's going to get deep into games. You know, he's going to strike out guys. Like the, the 
earned run numbers might regress a little bit, but I still think a guy that you know you can give the ball to every fifth day with a chance to uh, absolutely dominate it and make you win and no will give you a chance to win, I think is better than any of the position players, at least in terms of like his league-wide value. Okay, moving on down the line. Uh, this one's fascinating because this is probably the widest category of them all. It's comeback player of the year. This is what this team is about. We mentioned it at the, at, off, the, off the top, right? Like so many guys that are looking to bounce back from a really, really bad down, down year last year. This is maybe who you're most confident will come back. Maybe who you think will have the biggest comeback or maybe who you just think will have the best season of all of the candidates that were underwhelming last year. Noah, I, I will start with you. Who is your Chicago White Sox comeback player of the year in 2023? I touched on this guy a little bit last week, um, but I feel really good about the spring that he had and the fact that he is finally healthy um, after he himself admitted that he really wasn't himself for most of last season, and that is Yasmani Grandal. Um, I I know he's kind of getting up there in age. Uh, he's very slow, as we <laughs> have discussed many times before, um, but that's not part of his game. I think the power is going to come back. Uh, and when it does, I think the walks are going to come back. Uh, he's going to stop trying to do too much at the plate. Um, I think he may have gotten in his head a little bit last year uh, when he started to struggle to hit home runs. He might have kind of gotten desperate and stopped taking pitches at the rate that he did before. And I think all of that is kind of going to to improve. Um, a fresh start will be helpful for him. And you know, he has been training with the Blackhawks strength and conditioning staff all offseason and said that he feels great and finally feels healthy. So I think he's primed for a bounce back season. Reinforcing that the shift gone too is going to help him dramatically. Well, we'll see. I mean, the shift is hypothetically gone, right? In rule, it is gone. But, it, you know, if they're doing that outfield trick, uh, you know, it, it has a lot of the same effects. But, yeah, I mean, a guy loses his lower half. It really takes away your ability to, to do anything at the plate, uh, to run, to be behind the plate, catching. So it's really a question of those knees. And if he still has uh, enough in those knees to play, here's mine. This is actually an interesting one. And I don't know why this jumped out to me, but I, I think this is both a player. I think will have a comeback and the player. I think the white Sox need to bounce back more than anybody else. And he's not a guy people talk about as needing to do this. It is Tim Anderson for me. I think Tim Anderson is the comeback player of the year and the biggest name the White Sox need back. The, the version we got last year, yeah, he hit 301. I guess you can look at that and look at the all-star appearance and say, oh, well, Tim Anderson didn't have a bad year. I mean, his OPS dropped almost 100 points from you know his 2019 to 2021 seasons, over 100 points in some of them. Uh, not a lot of pop. The power basically disappeared for the entire second half. Also, some injuries some bad defense, a lot of like, I don't want to say lazy, but lazy leadership in some ways where it just felt like he was going through the motions out there at shortstop. And I think the White Sox will and need to see that fiery 2019 Tim Anderson back on the field at shortstop for them. And if they have him, that's the spark plug that your team needs. If you don't, if you've got going through the motions, Tim, I think it sets the tone for a lot of, uh, you know, more of the same behavior a year later. 
I he did admittedly have a down year, but having a down year for Tim Anderson where you're hitting three over three hundred, I find it hard to be bounce back player, especially when all the injuries were playing a factor with he him. And everyone do that. He, he just wasn't Tim Anderson last season. And in order for this White Sox team to succeed, I think he needs to be the catalyst that he was in 2021, the guy that he was in 2020 and 2019. Like give me 315 with 17 to 20 home runs again. And you know, all of that energy at shortstop, that's the guy that I need. And you need that bounce back. I have a lot of confidence in Tim to do it. I think last year he was down for a number of reasons, but uh, yeah, that that's my guy. It's just hard. Some of these guys, I don't know if I can count on a Moncada or a Yasmani Grandal to bounce back quite like I know I can with Tim. So my bounce back guy, I'm going Lucas Giolito. This is a guy that actually had a bad season last year and the Sox for them to be significantly better. They need him to return to their ACE form. So there's a couple of factors into why I think he's going to bounce back. Number one, you know, the stuff's there. Like he has the track record to show, like we know he's a good pitcher for whatever reason at all. Came in bulked up last off season, slim back down. He claims he's in the best shape of his life. I know everyone says that this time of year, but he does look a lot better. I think spring training results were pretty solid. He looked a little bit more confident. And I would also think that I think the pitch clock is going to help him. One, I he's think a guy so that too. seems like it's going to get in his head a little bit, like when things are going wrong. He doesn't have a whole lot of time to think now about it, which is going to help. He said he was adjusting to it well. He was getting in a good rhythm. Uh, so that was very encouraging to see. So I, I think we're going to see a pretty big year. And also it's a contract year for him. He wants to get paid and to do that, he's going to have to have a big season. So these guys, right when they know that a payday window is about to open up, they tend to come in a little bit with an extra motivation. So I think he's going to have a big bounce back season. Yeah. I was just about to comment that it's a contract year. So he's going to be a little bit extra motivated this year. Um, And that point about the pitch clock, uh, Sam and I talked about that with Michael Kopech, I think last week. Um, about kind of a similar thing. He's a guy that, you know, if he gets himself into trouble, maybe he walks a couple of guys, uh, he, he might get in his own head and lose some confidence. But when you don't have time to think and you just have to get up there and pitch, I think that's going to be beneficial for a couple of guys in the Sox rotation. Yeah, no, for sure. And Lucas Giolito is another guy as well. You kind of touched on it, but it, he's a cerebral guy that knows his own body and, and he knows how to succeed. And and we've seen this progression uh, of him as a major league pitcher with the White Sox, where he's at a stage now of his career where he has a bad year. He knows why, like he can attribute it to specific things that he then works hard to fix in the off season. And if anybody knows how to fix Lucas Giolito after, but after a down year, it's going to be Ethan Katz, the guy that, you know, fixed him earlier in his career and worked on some of these things with him. So not a bad pick at all for, Uh, comeback player of the year. Let's get contentious with this one, because this is probably where you start to make people mad. It's most likely to disappoint, most likely to disappoint. We talk about high expectations for some of these guys. Um, You know, who is going to bounce back? Who is not going to bounce back? I Noah, do you want to start this here? I don't know who I hot potato. You take it. Who's not, who's going to disappoint White Sox fans. Go ahead. Um, I think there's a guy that the White Sox have recently acquired that I think fans are overrating. And <laughs> that is Elvis Andrus. Um, oh, wait, no, different guy. 
uh, Elvis Andrus came in last year and was awesome. I mean, he played probably the best baseball of his career uh, after signing with the White Sox last offseason. And I just don't think that that's sustainable for him. Um, I think there's going to be some regression back to his career norms, which he's not a bad player, but he's not the difference maker that he was at the end of last season. And I think a lot of fans who haven't really followed his career around the league, they just know him from his time with the White Sox, have set their expectations for him too high. Um, I don't think he's a I mean, I don't think he's an all-star level player. I think he's a fine second baseman. He's a good defender. He's a good clubhouse leader. And I'm going to give him another award uh, a little bit later on that is a good tell of his personality. But I just don't think that he is the kind of player that we saw last year. And I think there's going to be some people that are disappointed by that. Mitchell, I actually anything? completely agree with you. I thought you were going to say yeah. Hans Alberto, who's, I think, another guy they're completely overrating. But when they signed him, it was like, ugh. I mean, it's all right. You gotta he's take it, played second base. He's yeah, just you have he's to, better than Gonzalez, so I was happy. You have to take it for what it is, which has been my frustration. And, like, this – I don't get how this has – the narrative has shifted. Maybe it's some of the excitement of opening day being close and baseball being back. But I listen to, uh, you know, White Sox analysts and commentators and podcast hosts, let's say, uh, and people that, you know, cover this team – that lived through the off season that lived through the frustrations of saying, you need more. You can't just run it back. You can't just run it back. This is not good enough. And then it was like, they signed Elvis Andrus for one year's $3 million. And everybody went, Oh, perfect. We're good. We're set. We're ready to run back and win the AL central. And nobody's batting an eye. And I don't understand where, I like Elvis Andrus. Like you said, he was better than what they had on the roster. It was an improvement. I celebrate when the White Sox get better by acquiring a player. But it does not change the landscape or how we should be talking or like assessing this team at this stage. And I think that that's gotten lost to a lot of people. So go ahead. Did they get better with Elvis? Yes. But the bar was set really low. Like, we're looking at Gonzalez and uh, Lenin Sosa. Like, yeah, they got better, but look look what they were comparing it to. But I will say this for him. He did have – he got hit by, by a pitch. I think it was, like, 2019. and messed up his, like, elbow. And he said last year he finally found an adjustment to where he was able to overcome because it was bothering for a couple seasons. And the numbers reflected that. But he's like, something clicked second half of the uh, offseason. And in spring training, he was still hitting the ball pretty well. So it gives me a hope that, okay, maybe this is the new Elvis. We'll have to wait and see. I don't put a ton of stock in the spring training results, but the swing did a lot, look a lot better. And based off of what he said, uh, the evidence matches up. So I mean, yeah, but like, again, before he was a Chicago White Sox in 2022, he was hitting 237 with eight home runs and an OPS of 673 for the Oakland A's. So we need to put into perspective exactly what a good season from Elvis Andrus is right. going to be. And so I think that's a, a very good pick. No, I had him as my, my second one. And I, I can go ahead here and hop into what White Sox fans might not want to hear and what I wish wasn't uh, how I felt, but my most likely to disappoint. No, it's not Yohan Mankata as much as I wanted to pick him. Uh, it's Luis Robert for me. Uh, I am 
pretty bearish on Luis Robert at this point in time. And the main reason why has been he has shown a continued lack of development in the key places in his game that make him susceptible to, you know, long hitting droughts and things like that. Like his plate discipline is an issue and year after year after year, uh, regardless of health, we know he can hit it far. We know he can run. We know he's going to play good defense in center field, but I, I white Sox fans had an expectation coming into last season that Luis Robert was going to make an MVP type of jump. And we didn't not only not see that we saw regression, even when he was on the field in a lot of areas like his plate discipline and his ability to get on base regularly or come up with a big hit in a big moment. And so far, I I think that was the story of his world baseball classic as well. He he had some singles here and there. He had a good amount of singles and had a decently high average, but he struck out a lot, left a lot of guys in scoring position. And he like just was swinging at not good pitches. So it's hard for me to see him taking a huge jump forward right now when I don't see the work in the areas that are needed in order to kind of cut off some of the fat in his game. Yeah. I think the play discipline is the biggest thing that stands out. Like the whole world apparently knew that you could throw him a slider in the dirt and he's going to I'm convinced I could still get him out. I think (laughs) I could, I'll throw my slider down and away. I think I can get Luis Robert out. Maybe not every time I'm going to hang a couple and watch him go to the rafters. But, you know, he'll chase it if it's down. The, yeah, for sure. He'll you throw it kind of decent, kind of tight. He'll go after it. So, yeah, I mean, just last season or I guess well, his entire career, 222 games, 211 strikeouts. He had 77 of them last year in 98 games. Uh, the OBP plummeted all the way down to 319 last season despite the 284 average that's not good enough and if you want to start taking that next level jump to become the best player on this team you have to cut that out in his defense the wrist injury the second half of the year played a factor because he was putting up pretty good numbers his first half and you could tell when the wrist injury happened he probably shouldn't have even been in the line like he was swinging with one hand there was no power there i think that played a little bit of a factor yeah i think that's fair just looking at his month by month here i mean he was hit 294 in August and then 044 in September and October combined, but just 23 plate appearances there. But yeah, I mean, those last 80 to 100 plate appearances of the season were not uh, very fruitful for him either. Noah, do you have any pushback on my Luis Robert opinion? No, I totally get it. Um, it's really frustrating to watch because it's blatantly obvious how talented Luis Robert is. And I mean, he's just an athletic freak. He's probably the best athlete on the team and one of the best athletes in the league. And so it's super frustrating to see just this giant thing that seems super easy and super obvious that if he fixed it, he would just be an awesome, awesome player. And he hasn't fixed it yet. And harder than it looks, right? (laughs) Yeah, obviously none of us are out there, you know, trying to hit those sliders and Um, so I'm not going to say like, Oh, it's super easy. It looks easy, but it's obviously not. Um, but I don't know, maybe this will be the year that he does. And I'm hopeful because I see all the talent that's in there. And I just, I hope that he gets to the point where that talent turns into production because, um, as we used to say, pray for the league, if that happens. Well, I mean, he's just a, 
he's such a frustrating, but sometimes amazing player to watch. Like he can have a week where he is putting together a good at bat and seeing the ball well and staying, keeping his head down on the baseball, driving through the ball, probably looking right center most of the time. And the ball just explodes off of his bat where you can't come anywhere near the strike zone to Luis Robert. And then he goes through stretches, longer stretches, unfortunately, where, you know, he's rolling over on everything. He's not having competitive at bats and he's seemingly swinging at every off speed pitch outside of the zone. So like, it's just the consistency with him. And to clarify too, the disappoint category, like this does not mean that I think he's going to have a, a horrific year. I just think uh, if the expectation is that Luis Robert is a 20 home run, 20 stolen base guy that, it, you know, has, is going to have an 800 or higher OPS, which I think most fans would probably tell you that's what they're expecting. Uh, I think you might be disappointed this year. That's a good segue because this is a guy I'm kind of high on too, but I think the expectations have been too high. My biggest disappointment is Oscar Cola. I think he, we, he's got a lot of heavy expectations placed upon him. Like Rick Hahn said from the jump, like, hey, this is a guy that's a candidate for the right field. Number two overall prospect. Had a really good spring. People have high expectations for him. I see people placing bets for him to win rookie of the year. Like this guy's tearing the cover off the ball. That is really unfair for a rookie. That's had one season in North America playing. I think there's he's going to go through his growing pains. And I don't know, but the, based off the expectations placed upon him, I just don't think it's fair. Like they put, they're asking a lot for a contending team to ask this kid come up in your first year. Like, yeah, be a significant contributor. It it's unreasonable. He's got talent. There's pop there. And I think he's got a strong arm. There's a lot to like, I just think it's going to be close to an Andrew Vaughn type rookie season. The numbers aren't going to be what everyone's thinking. I don't think he wins rookie of the year. Well, I, I think you are actually very on there because this is what I, this was my issue with the Colos being your right fielder thing as a whole. Like, and I, I want him to be the right fielder. I want him to get at bats, but I have been in the camp of sign a veteran right fielder to platoon with Oscar Colas when you need to, because he is going to go through some growing pains. He is going to have to learn on the fly and the fan base, as well as the team needs to be patient with a young guy that you said has one professional season in North America um, and understanding that, but you are also in a world series quote unquote window that uh, you need to capitalize on. And so relying on a guy that has that little experience at this stage in your window is a dangerous, dangerous game to play where now they need him to be a large impact player and they can't afford to get bad Oscar Colas. Yeah, you can't, you cannot afford to have a guy going through growing pains, but like with him, it's going to happen. And And you have to stick with him. You can't send him down. You can't bench him. So you are living and dying with what Oscar Colas does as a, MLB rookie. And I think it'll be all right. I think I can see 15, 20 homers, but there's going to be a lot of strikeouts. And I think it's going to be close to like a 230 to 250 type average. I think that's pretty close to what you had last week, Noah. Yeah, we talked a lot about this last week, actually. Um, so those of you that want to hear about Oscar Colas more, go check out last week's episode. Um, but yeah, uh, we talked last week about just kind of what our expectations are. And I had him at like a 250, 260 average with somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 home runs uh, and an OPS like 750 to 800 range. And I kind of said that if he's in that ballpark, then I would be 
pretty thrilled with how his rookie season went. But you also said, too, it was an interesting point that you were like, well, I think it's more likely that he hits 25 home runs with a 220 average than it is he hits 300. And, and you know, the Absolutely. power is not there. Absolutely. So, yeah, the interesting point. All right, let's let's get to something a, a bit more positive because uh, talking about all these players that we love, how they're going to disappoint us and hurt us, you know, we'll go really quick. We don't have to do any details with this one, but I, I told you to pick most likely to be a fan favorite. We see it randomly with this fan base. So maybe it's an active player that everybody's going to learn to love right now. Uh, you can't pick like Tim Anderson. He's already a fan favorite. He's a staple but somebody that will become a fan favorite on the South side this year. Uh, Mitchell, let's start with you. This is, he's got a lot of people that don't like him, but I think we saw with the Jose Abreu became a fan favorite before him, Paul Canerico, this white Sox. They love the first baseman. I think Andrew Vaughn going to have a big year and develop into a fan favorite. He is shown that don't like, there's people that don't like Andrew Vaughn. Yeah. Yeah, there was um Tell yeah, to come Josh, find Josh me. Nelson I, I, and Josh Nelson and Beef Loaf had like a whole podcast where they were just trashing Andrew Vaughn for the whole time. Like, well, temper your expectations. I think the guy one the right the outfield thing was real. Like when he came up, like I mean, you guys know they're asking him to play a new position. He had like fifty five bat at bats in the minor, but that's a really unfair situation. And I think he handled himself well. He improved a lot year two his biggest issue was he couldn't hit the righties well what happened year three he learned how to hit the righties he hit the ball really hard and now that he's playing his natural position you saw like late in the season the splits got really bad because when you're playing a long 162 game season it's going to take your toll and he was not used to that and then you have the fact that he's running around in the outfield his legs and body weren't used to that either now he's playing position he knows how to he's going to be comfortable there he's going to make more adjustments because we've seen he's a professional hitter he's going to tear the cover off the ball and he's going to become a fan favorite i think this guy's a stud well fun fun fact for you mitchell you brought up uh how we go back to our bradley days it was in fact in my bradley university dorm room sitting on my laptop that i called my brother noah phelan now my uh, co-host here and said dude you have got to check out this sophomore kid for the Cal Golden Bears and look at this Andrew Vaughn guy and what he can do on a baseball field. And I sent him some numbers, sent him some tape and was like, this kid rakes. Two years later, the White Sox select him third overall in the draft. And uh, I was over the moon. So I, I very much consider myself the conductor of the Andrew Vaughn train uh, and you know, we're not stopping. So get aboard or get ride with us or get run over is what I'll say for Andrew Vaughn. Cause they're going to know this year. I think that's a really good one. Uh, Noah, your fan favorite. It's gotta be Mike Clevenger. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> no, uh, in all seriousness, this is a guy that, uh, I think kind of already has a little bit of a cult following, uh, among White Sox fans, uh, but I think the more the more experience he has here in Chicago, the more that people are going to like him. Um, and that is Jake Berger. Um, oh. I think I think he's just a very likable guy. You know, he hops on everybody's podcast, and he you can just tell how much he loves baseball and he loves Chicago, and he's just a very relatable guy. He's he's opened up about some of the struggles he's had that I think a lot of people can relate to. And I just think he's a guy that everyone roots for. And the more experience he has in Chicago, the more people are going to see him and the more people are going to like him. 
I like that pick. I really, I, I didn't think of that one, but I, I love Jake Berger. We were talking, I love Jake Berger. Mitchell loves Jake Berger. We love Jake. How can you not love Doesn't Jake everyone Berger? like Jake Berger though? I mean, you got that story there like already, like who doesn't root for Jake Berger? Incredible story. Jake Berger. Yeah. I mean, incredible story, incredible ball player. Like he's been good for the side. Like when he's been in the, he has been a legitimately good major league hitter when he has been up at the big league level. And, and it just makes it so much fun to root for. Uh, makes him very fun, and I, that's why I think we're a little bit butthurt that he's not on the roster right now. But uh, all right, here's mine. I, this is an interesting one. The, maybe it's recency bias. I don't know. So I had originally said when the White Sox signed Andrew Benintendi that he was going to be an immediate fan favorite playing left field. Um, I do think that's still possible. But my person is one, Sebastian Zavala. Seb. Oh, I, I love Seb. It's like the most popular guy in town is the backup quarterback. You can't go wrong as the backup catcher. Uh, you come in and you hit go over four. They're like, hey, did you call a good game tonight, Seb? That's all that we care about. He hits a home run. It's a win, win, win. I, I, I think Sebi Zavala can have a really productive season off the bench this year. Uh, and he's somebody that White Sox fans in particular will just really embrace if he starts you know, you get a Sebi bomb off the bench a couple times a year. I, I see Sebi Zavala as my sort of dark horse to be a big fan favorite by this time next year. You're speaking my language. It's an ongoing joke on the Pinwheels and Ivy podcast that I'm a Seb Stan. I mean, when he hit the four bombs in a game, like you look at him in the dugout and he's just like, yeah, you know, I don't give like he, he would have thought he was like, oh, for four. He just didn't give a shit. He's cool as a cucumber. Like, this guy is awesome. I remember watching it back, and I was just like, I, I, I don't remember. I was in Iowa City, and I pulled up to, like, a sports bar in Iowa City at the time, and I, I looked up, and everybody's freaking out about Sebi Zavala. I'm getting these notifications on my phone. Sebi Zavala hits a three-run home run. Sebi Zavala hits a two-run home run. And I'm looking, I'm like, Sebi Zavala, who? I'm like, where did this come from? But uh, we've seen it in spring training. He's having an okay spring. Don't sleep on Sebi. And fun name to say too. Yeah. He quietly had a productive season last year and he ended up taking a lot of at bats uh, because Yasmani Grandal kind of dealt with injuries on and off throughout the year. But if you look at the numbers, he was not bad last year at all. And he's a guy that like, hardly anybody talks about but i think that if he follows that up with another decent season then he's going to be noticed a lot yeah for sure people forget i was at sebi zavala's first career hit i, I yeah, saw it with my, that pop-up that dropped in like 2019 i saw it with my own eyes but all right uh th- that one's pretty quick this one might have a little bit more to it um we talked about two positive categories here. One of them is the best call-up of a player that is not on the opening day roster. But let's talk about the guys that are on the team that are much like Sebi Zavala and are not getting talked about. So this is the biggest dark horse. Somebody that you might look back on a successful 2023 White Sox season and say, wow, look, he came out of nowhere. Or I, why weren't we talking about him sooner this is the guy that is not getting the buzz, but has a chance to be an all-star or an awards getter uh, and noticed across all of MLB. So I will start this time and I'm going to go with my boy. I know I have a lot of boys on this team and uh, you know, I am the conductor of the Andrew Vaughn fan club, but 
my love for the Chicago White Sox, this crop of young talent started and may end with one Michael Kopech. Um, I have been one of Michael Kopech's biggest supporters from the moment he was traded. I have loved watching him progress. It has been frustrating at times with some of the setbacks that he's had from the Tommy John to even as recently as last year with his knee surgery. Um, But I think Michael Kopech has a chance to do what Dylan Cease did last season, this season for the White Sox. We know the stuff is there. He has been throwing hard in spring training. Um, I think he will be helped by the pitch clock and he just needs to be fully healthy. Like he was doing it for a while last season before the knee uh, and then was kind of a downward spiral of pitching when he shouldn't have been pitching similar to uh, Luis Robert, but he was on the mound toughing it out because they needed him to eat innings when he really should have gotten a surgery on his knee and cut it down or shut it down for the year. But a healthy Michael Kopech, I think could have a Dylan Cease type of jump here and finally start getting buzz across major league baseball as one of the best young pitchers in the game. Yeah. I also had Michael Kopech as mine. uh, So I do agree with you. I've loved what I've seen uh, from him so far in spring training. Like you said, he came out throwing 98 in his first Cactus League outing, which not many people do uh, unless you're Jordan Hicks throwing 105. I don't know if you guys saw that, but uh, yeah, that was insane. I saw Ryan um, Helsley was throwing something crazy too. Like, yeah, was- they got a they got a couple of them there in St. Louis that are uh, pretty pretty good. They're in the back end of their bullpen, um, but Kopech, yeah. It, the fastball's there, the slider's there, and I think the X factor for him is the changeup. Um, getting that third pitch and getting it over the plate, which he's tried to do so far in spring training. Um, at least his first outing, I know it was looking pretty good. His last outing wasn't great, but uh, he did say that he was dealing with some upper respiratory stuff, so he obviously wasn't feeling 100% health-wise. Um, but yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think a lot of people kind of look at, oh, Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito bounce back, but people forget Michael Kopech and how talented he is. And I think by the end of the season, he could be the second best starter on the White Sox, assuming that Dylan Cease is Dylan Cease. Yeah. He had a stretch no. in May where he was honestly in side young consideration, the way he was throwing. Like that's after the, his, he had a Yankee start and the Dodgers start where it was like, wow. Like this guy looks good. Uh, well, I remember he had that one bad start where he gave up the grand slam to Marty Jevich or whatever in Houston. Uh, and he had the knee issue from then on. And it kind of, he was like a slam dunk to make the all-star team at that point too. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, his May, he had uh, four games in May and uh, I'm trying to find opponents had a bad opposing batting average of 103 against Michael Kopech in the month of May, 148 in April and 225 in June. And I was at that start against the Los Angeles uh, against the Yankees rather that he gave up, I believe one hit through six or seven innings. Um, So Noah, you also had Michael Kopech Mitchell. Who's your uh, dark horse contributor for the White Sox. All right. Well, since you said opening day roster, I'm switching mine. The guy I had is not going to be in the opening day roster, which will play well because we're doing call-ups later, so I'm going to move him down. I'm going Ronaldo Lopez. He's probably – I think he should be the closer opening day when Liam Hendricks is out. He's pitching with a lot more confidence now too. He's got the unique journey where where he's going from failed starter to reliever, which you know a lot of that happened to Liam Hendricks too. But he was the best starter for the White Sox in 2018, and now I think he has the opportunity to be the best reliever for the White Sox this year. 
The eye surgery, I think, helped a lot. And now he's throwing everything with confidence and he wants the ball in the ninth inning. Like you listen to him talk and like you can hear him. He's like, I'm confident in throwing any pitch in any situation. Let me add him. Like his slider's filthy. He's got a blazing fastball. I think that Katz has been putting in some work with him. I think he's going to have a big year. Yeah, all the good ones are t- like Kendall Graveman was that too, right? He was a, a starter turned reliever and, you know, kind of found his, his niche doing that. And he's been really good about that. We'll get into the, the saves thing. Heck, why don't we just jump into it now? We, we can take a break from the awards and, and really the two categories that I wanted. I told you team leaders and major statistics. My, the two categories are home runs and saves for me uh, because ERA, I feel like we're, we're all pretty confident Dylan Cease should have the best ERA. Stolen bases, who really cares? Uh, batting average, probably Tim Anderson. I think we would agree on that. Maybe Andrew Benintendi, if you think he has another year like he did last year. But uh, I think the two where there is some some debate, although maybe not with home runs the way that we've been talking, is home runs and saves. So, Noah, who leads the White Sox in home runs this season? Yeah, my answer is probably going to be pretty obvious. Um, I think it's going to be Eloy Jimenez. Um, I think the the pure power that Eloy has is better than anyone else on the team. And the key is just going to be staying on the field for him. But um, I don't think that there will be too much of a challenge there for him. If he's on the field, Uh, I think he should lead by a pretty significant margin. Mitchell, I'm assuming you're in the Eloy camp as well as somebody who picked him as his team MVP. Yeah. He's going to lead the team in home runs. And I think he'll be the the team in average. What's the number? I think I'm going the injury is such a looming factor with him. This is assuming he's healthy and plays at least, we'll say, like 120 games. I think he can hit. We'll go 44. 44. Oh, my. If he hits yeah. 44, uh, I think we're in a good spot if Eloy Jimenez is hitting 44. He will be run. above 30. I'm, we're going bold, though. I think so, so Mitchell is assuming that they're bringing back the AAA baseball from a couple of yeah, years ago. He, Hitters he, Park, I I. Th- I I got faith in my boy. Like, Eloy the, might the hit 54 there. if he played at Wrigley 81 times a year. I mean, he he owns the Cubs, especially at Wrigley Field. What's nice about yeah. Eloy, too, I think he's going to hit in, like, the upper 280s, too. Like, he'll be he'll be within a sniffing distance of 300, along with all that power. Yeah, he, he's certainly capable. A lot of, like, I mean, for a guy that has that light tower power, you know, he hits his fair share of ground balls up the middle and, you know, finds a way to to find a hit when you need it. Let's do the saves thing because Pedro Grafol has said that there will not be a closer, that it will be by committee, I suppose, at least to start the year. But is Liam Hendricks going to be back and lead the White Sox in saves? Is it yes. uh, going that, – that's that's what you're saying off the bat? Lance Lynn was on AJ Pruszynski's podcast. His comments are really encouraging. Liam was like, yeah, I'm going to be back in May and like ready to pitch. And Lance like, all right, like chill, buddy. But I do think by July, like that's – assuming everything goes well with the, the treatment, he'll be back. And if it is a save by committee, you know, the saves are going to be spread around. You got a lot of inexperienced guys that aren't really lo- used to closing out the ninth inning. Um, so I think when Liam gets back, he'll have at least the second half of the season, a couple of months, he'll rack up some saves. It won't be a lot. I think even like 15 would be enough to lead that, this team. In that, I mean, that, that could be a good point that, that, you know, if, if it is by committee for the first few months and Liam Hendricks is back, even just for like August and September, he might have an opportunity to get up to double digits and saves. Noah, who's your saves leader? Look, I think Pedro can say like 
oh, we're going to go by committee, we're going to go by matchup. But I think ultimately he's going to have kind of a go-to guy um, in the meantime. I think Aaron Bummer is going to get some chances. I think Reynaldo Lopez is going to get some chances. But I think his go-to guy is going to be Kendall Graveman. Uh, he he did do a little bit of closing with the Mariners uh, when he was there a couple years ago. Um, he He saved a few games for the White Sox last year. I just think Graveman is the one with the most experience. And so I think he's kind of going to be Pedro's go-to ninth inning guy uh, while Liam Hendricks is out. And I would love it if Liam Hendricks was back and ready to go by July, like you think he will be. But, you know, at this point, I'm I'm just not sure. I a hundred percent agreed. Well, agree with you. I think, you know, he will take it by committee, him being Pedro. Uh, I just think, you know, whoever, proves themselves and establishes themselves early in the season as being reliable will be the guy that he continues to go back to and continues to get that opportunity. And Kendall Graveman has the experience of basically spending a first half of a season as the closer for the Mariners. And he was nasty when he did, he had an 082 ERA in 30 appearances uh, and 10 saves for the 2021 Seattle Mariners before getting shipped off to Houston. But, uh, yeah, I, I again, this is another one of those things where I say, you know, if Liam Hendricks is the leading closer for the White Sox or leading in saves, I think they're in a good spot because that means that he's pitching a good number of games this season. So just punch me into Mitchell's world, the this Mitchell prediction world, because this is the, the I'm Eloy Jimenez is hitting 44 bombs. Liam's coming back by May. He's he's getting well, he thinks finished. he's coming back by May. I don't think he'll be back by May. I think it'll be closer to July, early late July, August, but that'll be enough to get him back. But he said, like, he was telling Lance Lynn, No, I'm gonna be ready to go by May. And Lance is like, dude, like, chill out. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's do the best call up. Matt Mitchell, uh, I'll let you kind of take this one first because you said you have one that you're up or excited about at least. So this is a player that did not make the opening day roster that you think will have the biggest impact on the team this year. Okay. Well, initially it was pretty lame. I was going with Davis Martin, but just because I do think like spot starter, there'll probably be injuries. is going to be good. But since like my initial dark horse is going to be Garrett Crochet. So that's what I'm going with. Cause he didn't make, he's not going to be on the opening rosters. So this is the guy I'm sticking with guys filthy. Like he was great. His first couple of years. I know the fastball probably won't be there. And it's going to be another thing like Colas. He's going to go through some growing pain, shaking off the rust. But once he hits his stride, I mean, it's, it, he's nasty. And even if he's not throwing a hundred, because he has such a long, like, cause he's so tall, it always looks faster. He has a very deceptive delivery. He's got a really good slider to pair with that. Uh, based off the sample size I've seen, the guy's a stud. And for a bullpen, that's going to need to eat more innings than they're probably used to with Kopech. I don't know how many innings you're getting from him. Clevenger's another guy that hasn't thrown 200 in a while. The bullpen's really going to need to step up, and Crochet's a guy that can fill a bunch of different roles, and he's nasty. So that, that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I mean, a guy that I, I'm glad you bring up because we have to talk about him. Like, you forget about Garrett Crochet existing because you haven't seen him in a White Sox uniform in so long. But, you know, there's a reason that they drafted him where they did. There's a reason that they brought him up as quickly as they did. And, you know, the sample size that we've gotten about of him in the major leagues is raw at times, but nasty enough to sit down major league hitters at will. So uh, yeah, I, I, he will give them a huge boost to the bullpen whenever he's ready, which Noah, what is the timeline on Garrett crochet may June? I believe he's going to be rehabbing in April and early may. And the white Sox are hoping to have him back by mid may. 
uh, was the last thing Rakan said about him. So like July 1st, basically, because that's kind of how things tend to go here. Uh, Noah, who is your best call-up or your uh, biggest impact from a call-up? Uh, so Mitchell brought up Davis Martin, um, and it's not going to be him, but it is going to be a guy that I think uh, can be the 2023 version of what Davis Martin was last year. Um, I think a big key to success uh, for teams is pitching depth and getting guys to come up from the minor leagues and perform uh, specifically starting rotation depth. And for the White Sox this year, I think that is Sean Burke. Um, I think he is a guy who's on the cusp of the major leagues. Uh, He's probably going to start the year in Charlotte's rotation, but aside from Davis Martin, I think he's going to be the next man up. If someone were to go down in the rotation or maybe they need an extra man for a double header and they go with him. Um, Regardless, I think he's going to get some major league innings this year. And I think uh, Sox fans are going to get a chance to see what he can do. And I'm a big fan of his. Uh, so this is the world that I don't want to live in that you where uh, we need Sean Burke in the majors because two of our starting rotation pieces go down. So that one count me out on that. I went pretty basic with mine. Uh, I, I had Jake Berger, but I, I think that the history of injury on this team, like uh, you're going to need a bat like that, that you can call up and stick at third base or DH five times a week. And uh, I think we'll see plenty of, uh, plenty of burger bombs on the South side in 2023. So uh, that was my uh, biggest one here. The Johnny hustle award uh, shout out to Manny Machado, Johnny, who is not Johnny hustle. He'd be up for uh, the worst hustler award, which we'll get to right after this, but we'll just do them together. Best and worst hustler, kind of a weird one, but goes into the fan favorite a little bit, but maybe also uh, is the, who is, is and is not playing Pedro Griffol baseball. No, I'll let you start. Yeah. Uh, so for the biggest hustler, I mentioned this guy earlier. Uh, I think it's going to be Elvis Andrus. He is the kind of guy who is a leader. Uh, and everyone that's played with him uh, has praised him in the clubhouse. And Rick Hahn and Pedro Griffol kind of said the same thing. They think he's an important piece in the clubhouse. Um And he is the kind of guy that's going to play the game the right way. He's going to hustle on the bases. He's going to play good defense. And like I said, I don't, I don't think he's an all-star by any means. He's a fine player, but I think his attitude and his hustle are going to be something that a lot of the young players on this team need to emulate. Um, On the other side of things, (laughs) I am going to go with a guy that I don't think is capable of hustling um, because I don't think his legs work very well anymore. And when he does hustle, I think it's not more than a light jog. And that is Yasmani Grandal. Um, I think he could probably hustle, hit a ball. Hustle is about <laughs> the effort, Noah. It's about it. it well, I, would know, think, I, I think mean, you could make a case that he could be the hustle guy of the year. You listen to the workouts he's putting in. It doesn't look like he's hustling because he's like could race a pregnant woman and he'd finish third. But like, <laughs> I think he'll hustle. And he's on a contract year too. That is true. It is a contract year for Grandal, so maybe he will start uh, putting up good 40 times and getting all the way to third base on some gappers and stuff. Um, but I don't know. I, I have pictures in my mind of him last year hitting a ball to the wall in right field and like almost getting thrown out at first base. So until I see otherwise, I'm just I'm not sure I see him more than basically walking around the bases. 
Yasmani Grandal could race a pregnant woman and finish third. I will clip that. That is Mitchell Kaminsky uh, <laughs> coming coming for Yasmani's. He's got a family, man. Come on. <laughs> all right. That's why um, he just needs to hit home runs. And then we won't have to worry about it. Hey, him. you can jog all you want as long as the ball's over the fence. So, yeah. hey, if we if we ever have the privilege of having Yaz on this podcast, we're gonna have to mention that to him and see his thoughts uh, about it. I'll I'll let I'll, we'll bring Mitchell back on and he can say. <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah, I'll tell him. I'm there a big. Yeah, I like Rondall too. I thought it was a great signing when they picked him up. I was thrilled by his 2021 season. I think the knees play a factor. He's just slow. Yeah, not his strength. He probably would be the first to tell you as well. I think he has before, but uh, yeah. all right. no, I think you were on with Elvis Andrus as the uh, Johnny hustle here. I think that's the one thing that he does bring to the table. Uh, guaranteed. No questions asked. Uh, he's going to be that guy. The worst hustler. Is anybody surprised to hear that I'm frustrated with the effort level of Yuan Mankata? Because uh, this is a, revolving door of me just being like why isn't he running to first base oh now he's hurt because he ran to first base uh he's the worst hustler I don't I don't know I I don't think he's a big effort guy I don't think he ever will be as long as he you know bounces back at the plate I will uh keep it to myself but yeah I I wish Yohan Mankata would show a little bit more effort on the base paths I, I mean, think I can't, say, I can't say I blame the guy. Every time he hustles, he's grimacing and limping back to the base after he passes first base. So he usually shakes it off and stays in the game. Uh, I tweeted about that earlier this week. Somewhere out there is a narrative that Yasmani or uh, Yoan Moncada rather is missing all sorts of games due to injury, but that is actually not the case. Uh, he's played 100 games in every season except the COVID year. Well, 100 so, games is not. Yeah, I mean, I don't season. I mean, for White Sox standards, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Right. But then you have Luis Robert, who I don't think has even played a full season's worth of games yet. So Luis Robert and like Luis Robert and Eloy, their issue is that they get hurt because they hustle like they do nothing. But but Eloy tries to run 100 miles an hour. He realizes that he is, in fact, a big baby and he cannot control the muscles that are like the weight on his body. And he ends up tearing a hamstring. Uh Yoan Moncada, I just feel like we get a lot of those uh, those half-hearted jogs to first base, and yeah. Moncada is also my worst hustler. I mean, you saw it in the World Baseball Classic. He hit one that he thought was going to be a home run, and it goes off the wall, and it only turns out to be a single. It's like, what the hell? Now, I will push back on the fact, I do think he shows effort. I Where I think he runs into problems is his body language is always terrible. Well, and that's you know kinda, when that's, that's my thing with him is the body language. It's going through the motions. It's bit like, so yeah. You can tell when he's frustrated because then he'll start like jogging. He'll hit a chopper and be like, damn it. And then start jogging in the first place. Or you saw it in the Cleveland game too. They had that big game and he booted a ball and you could tell his weighing on him. Cause he's all slumped down and extra innings. Then he boots another one. So I think there's effort there. It's just, he needs to improve his body language and confidence plays a factor, but I would agree with you. He also was my, worst hustle candidates because you see it all too often play play every game like it's a world baseball classic final the most highly anticipated game in the history of baseball (laughs) which with Uh, pedro it was kind of tough to pick a candidate though because i think he gives a little rick renteria vibes hopefully better strategy or it's like hey we're gonna be busting our ass and the difference is these guys got talent so i'm that's the hope right i mean that that is the that was the fingers crossed moment with pedro is that that's the kind of the culture that he instills and changes uh, with this this team. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think a manager like Pedro will be good for Yoan Moncada. 
and the other guys who think that they can kind of loaf it to first base every time. Um, I think that, I think that uh, it'll benefit them to not have a manager that is falling asleep in the dugout yeah. uh, and someone that will hold them accountable if they are not hustling, because just based on the vibes that Pedro has given, I don't think he's going to have a problem saying, all right, Yuan, sit down. You know, you didn't run out that ground ball, take the rest of the night off. So I I think it'll be a refreshing change. And I think we're going to get some more hustle out of some of these guys, just having a manager that's more willing to hold them accountable. Yeah. I I mean, I completely agree. All right. We got two more here. Well, Uh, I didn't get my hustle guy yet. Oh, oh, I thought you were in agreement on Elvis. If you got, I was in agreement, but I'm going to change it now just because the baseball IQ is phenomenal with Elvis too, which I like, but I'm going with the guy that asked for his autograph last season because he thought he wasn't going to be with the team going. And I didn't think you'd be on the roster. We just found out tonight, Rami Gonzalez. That's going to be my hustle guy. That guy busts his ass. He just never puts the ball in play, so you don't usually see it. But when he does, <laughs> he's hauling ass first base. Sneaky guy, too, also. is. This is another reason why I love him. Jake Berger, sneaky fast, sneaky hustle guy. Uh, yeah, he can move I, for I, his size. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of – so, all right. Romy Gonzalez, Romy Gonzalez, Elvis Andrus, and then uh, Yohan Mankata gets the worst hustler by majority vote here. All right, two more. W- one of them is going to be predicting – the White Sox All-Star representatives, who is go- – one, do we know where the All-Star game is? I should have done my research on that beforehand. But Seattle. Seattle. So Seattle who, this year. Who is repping the White Sox in Seattle uh, in the Midsummer Classic? Noah, two – who – not two. You can have as many as you want. I have two, but I'm not going to put you into a box. So who is representing the White Sox at the All-Star game? Sure. I'll go with a couple of obvious ones. I think Dylan Cease will get the all-star nod this year. Uh, Obviously we all know last year he didn't, which uh, was just a tremendous snub uh, considering he finished second in the Cy Young voting and was not an all-star. But I think this will be the year that he does it. And I think the all-star voters have a tendency to uh, almost give a makeup call to somebody who didn't make it when they probably should have, they give them, they give it to them the next year. So I think we'll see cease there. Um, I think we will see Tim Anderson back there again. Um, and I think that Andrew Vaughn is going to get his first all-star nod this year for the white Sox. Wow. Andrew Vaughn. What, what does that season or at that first half look like for you that gets Andrew Vaughn onto the AL all-star roster? I think one of the biggest growths for him is going to be in his power this year. Um, his, he'll always hit for average. I think he'll, he'll always be in the 280 to 300 range with his average, maybe even a little above 300 if he has a good year, but, um, it wouldn't surprise me if Andrew Vaughn hits, you know, 290 with 17, 18 home runs in the first half. I really do think he's going to have a big year. In the first half. I mean, that, that would be, I mean, quite the resurgence that the White Sox lineup needs if they're getting 17 or 18. I mean, I don't think it's impossible. You know, I'm an Andrew Vaughn guy. I just, uh, that is a big leap for sure. I uh, am in agreement on Cease and am in agreement on Anderson. That is it. I have two all-star representatives and I think it's the two guys. Uh, well, the best player on the team being Cease and then Anderson, the guy that has done it now two years in a row. So Uh, Those are my two Mitchell all-stars for the White Sox. I also have two. I think it's going to depend if they're in first place or not and how well they're playing. But for some reason, no one seems to acknowledge Dylan Cease got screwed for the all-star game, got screwed for first team too. 
Uh, you look at a lot of the ballots, he completely got hosed. So I'm going with my MVP. Uh, I think uh, Eloy Jimenez is going to have a big year. And then T.A., he doesn't even need to have the best season, but because he's so popular in the face of the franchise at this point, like you see, like he's becoming, he's turning into a star in baseball just for fan voting purposes. I think he's an easy guy to get in where he, even if he's having a decent season, people are going to want to see him in the all-star game. He's got the bat flip, the swag. So I think he will be there too. And if they're playing really well, then maybe they'll let see in and they acknowledge him this summer. But my two are Eloy and T.A. Yeah, I think Tim, he hits 300, he's in because of the yeah. fan. But like so much of it is just your name recognition in the baseball fan voting and stuff it's why you see guys like salvador perez leading the catcher voting every year and and yadier molina is still the starting catcher for the nl last year um a lot of it is just you know once you break the seal and establish yourself as an all-star or an all-star starter it makes it a lot easier to get back and tim has now been able to do that okay here we go this is the bold predictions. I told you a wildly bold take about the season. No restrictions. It can literally be on anything. It can be like the White Sox are top two in attendance. Whatever you want to do. A bold take, a hot take, whatever, about this season. Noah, kick us off. Well, I had one. I'm not sure it's bold enough, so I might take it a step further. Um, but it kind of goes back to my all-star picks. Um, and that was Andrew Vaughn is an all-star. Jose Abreu is not this year. Um, so I think, like I said, I think Andrew Vaughn's going to have a big year. Uh, Jose Abreu, I love him. I always will. But he's old. He's getting up there in age. Uh, he's going to Houston, which will be a good environment for him to hit. Um, but I just I think that the power that he lost last year is not coming back. Uh, he may he may continue to hit for average, but I think at this point in his career he's not as much of a power hitter. And so I I like Andrew Vaughn this year better than Jose Abreu. If you want something even more bold, then I will just I'll just go ahead and say that Eloy Jimenez is a top three AL MVP vote getter. Whoa. Um, so whoa. You know that I love Eloy Jimenez, and I've talked about how he's going to have a great year. And I'll just say it. Eloy Jimenez is healthy for a full season, and he's a top three AL MVP vote getter. I can see it. Likeable guy. He's going to rake. He's going to hit 44 bombs. That's. I mean, the problem is he has to hit that, though, because he has no defensive value. And when you start looking at guys like Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and Julio Rodriguez, possibly and Aaron judge and these guys that are going to be in the AL MVP thing, like there is a level of like value in the field as well, where Eloy has to hit 45 to 50 homers and be one of the best bats in the, in baseball in order to get in the conversation. And that's why he won't win, but it'll be in the top three. All right. Uh, hey, like, you you said back. bold and I went bold. You if certainly were, you certainly Bray one's a little I don't know about that one. That ballpark is a hitter's park. He doesn't have to worry about the cold in April. He's got so much lineup protection. They're a family down there. I don't know yeah, about that. A real like family Bray, you hate. Yeah, real uh, family down there in Houston. <laughs> hey, I'll just tell you this. If I were betting, I would not put my money on Eloy Jimenez finishing top three in MVP. But if he did I wouldn't be terribly surprised. All right. Well, Mitchell, you go ahead and give yours while I'm, I'm pulling up FanDuel right now. We're going to find out what Eloy Jimenez is to win the American league MVP award. And maybe I'll sprinkle some money on it while we're uh, on the podcast here, but 
Uh, hey, I get half those profits if you win that. You can pet, put up half the stake then. I'm going with, for mine, Pedro Grafol wins manager of the year, but his staff, which is going to be a big reason he wins, I think they put together an excellent staff, is going to get broken up because of it. Some of the guys are going to get hired away afterwards. I love the fact that this guy, one, he, he gets it. Like, you listen to his, like, talk, like, his thing about, like, hustling to first base. and Like, hey, we got to play for the fans and make them proud. Or even today, we're like, hey, look, we need to come out with a clean slate. His opening press conference, he's like, I could tell when these guys are taking nights off. He's not afraid to say what he needs. I think he's going to be like a Rick Renteria where he's kicking guys in the ass and you see the effort every night. But better strategy because, one, there's a lot more talent on the roster. And, two, I think he surrounded himself with a really solid staff. So I think this guy, especially how bad they were and everyone's like biggest disappointment in baseball, if he can take this team, turn them around and win the division, I think he's manager of the year. But then some of the guys get hired away because of it. All right. Well, I, I do not see an Eloy Jimenez to win major MVP uh, prop available. We do have some White Sox. Luis Robert Jr. I keep forgetting to say the junior when I bring yes. him up <laughs> is uh plus 6,000. Uh, he has like maybe the 15th or 20th best odds right next plus 6,000. Same as Jose Abreu. Um, oh, there it is. Actually. I missed him. Eloy Jimenez is plus 10,000 plus 10,000 to win AL MVP. Uh, You have Tim Anderson at plus 15,000. Andrew Benintendi is plus 20,000. Andrew Vaughn and Oscar Colas are both plus 20,000 as well. So I could see any of them hypothetically besides Benintendi. I'm not high in Benintendi. If I'm I can can place $1 to win $100 and just go flush a dollar down the toilet on Eloy Jimenez to win the MVP award. Maybe I'll do that later in the show. That's a good investment. Here is uh, here's my bold take. Uh, Noah, you kind of stole my thunder with what you teased earlier a little bit, but Elvis Andrus will be DFA'd by the, uh, the trade deadline. Uh, Elvis Andrus will not be on the white Sox at the end of the season. He will be DFA'd by the trade deadline. They have Lenin Sosa. They have uh, Colson Montgomery, who probably won't make a debut this year, but who knows what he's going to do in the minor leagues. They have Lenin Sosa. They like Romy Gonzalez. Uh, They cannot afford to have a black hole in their lineup again. If he resorts to what he was doing uh, in Oakland last year before he got moved over or just kind of comes down to the career norms, like 85 OPS plus, I would not be surprised if the White Sox cut bait with him to allow for more at bats for a Romy Gonzalez or a Lennon Sosa or somebody else. So uh, he's getting hyped up as the big addition. I'm not sure he'll be on the team in four months. Uh, That is my hot take or bold prediction for the season. I'm going to disagree. I think that it would take Elvis Andrus being really bad for them to DFA him. I don't think that's impossible that he's really bad. And maybe he is. uh, But I think if he's his career norms, if he's 85, 90 OPS plus, I think they'll hold on to him because I think the value that he brings, like we said, the hustle, the clubhouse leadership, I think that's something that they will keep on the roster. Now that's not to say that he won't lose playing time. Um, if he, if he stinks, maybe they call up Lenin Sosa, they bench Elvis Andrus, they keep him as a backup infielder, and they have Sosa start at second base. But to completely cut ties with the guy, I think it would take him being very, very bad. 
Yeah, I, but I mean, I look at like Josh Harrison. They were close to cutting bait with Josh Harrison last year before he kind of like turned it on in late May or June. Like you can get off to a rough start. And, you know, for a team that is trying to contend, sometimes I think it takes a little bit less than you want to believe for, you know, they need production from the spot. So, I mean, it is a bold prediction after all. So it's not supposed to be the like leadership widely agreed the leader, sorry to interrupt you there. The leadership he provides, though, I think will give him a little bit more wiggle room than other like guys like a Josh Harrison or, or like that because he is that. Because when you lose Jose, I mean, they need someone to step up. And I don't think TA is the big vocal guy, he's more of a leader like on the field where Elvis provides baseball IQ, which that team lacked last season. And everyone respects him in the clubhouse. So even if he's hitting like 200, just that value alone will give him a little bit more wiggle room than say like an Adam Eaton who doesn't provide that really like anything to the clubhouse. Well, so here's the, here's Elvis's two 2021 season. He played a full season of 146 games for Oakland. Uh, he hit 243 with three home runs and an OPS of 614, uh, 73 OPS plus. That'd be enough to keep him on this team. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think if that's what he's doing, which by the way, those numbers, the fact that that was his 2021 full season is exactly why White Sox fans need to stop with the uh, Elvis is the savior type of thing. But I don't know if he's, if he's not doing, if he's struggling that badly at the plate, I think they market a sunken cost and uh, kind of go for somebody else who can be more productive. But they don't have anyone more productive. I think Alberto is wildly overrated. I think that spring training screams like a uh, Jacob May all over it where everyone's all high on him. But like there's a reading he's bounced around. But Alberto, Alberto is what like those things that you said about Andrus are why they're keeping Alberto. It's because the Dodgers love him as a leader and as a locker room and like clubhouse presence. Pedro Grifol feels the same way. And that's like a guy that he knows has sparked things for this team. And Chuck Garfine and, and interviewed Pedro and Pedro said like, yeah, he's been like the vocal teacher and leader along with Elvis Andrus for a guy like Oscar Colas. So I think he does a lot of the same things. Um, I just think that the, I, I don't think it's a guarantee that he makes the team. I, I, this is my bold prediction. I think he is DFA'd at some point by the, and, and you'll know right away. I mean, if he's coming out strong, he'll be on the team the full year. If things get off to a rocky start, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Okay, let's do it. Let's do the big one, right? We, we've broken down some of these players, comebacks, MVPs, all-stars, 45 home run AL MVP seasons for certain DH slash right fielders for the White Sox. But where is the team as a whole? 81 and 81 last season when uh, things seemingly couldn't get worse. But I, I do like to point out that, you know, certain things like the second half of Elvis Andrus and the second half of Dylan Cease and Lance Lynn. And uh, those were big positives. Uh, in the White Sox season that are not guaranteed to repeat themselves this year. Regression is also a, a real thing. So who wants to kick us off? I'll just go with Noah. You have to start it. I want your record prediction where they, where the White Sox finish in the American league central and what their playoff results will be. If you have them making the postseason. 
This is a very, very hard question because I think there are a lot of possibilities for this White Sox team. Um, I just I just wrote up uh, an entire Power Rankings article. It's going to be coming out this week through Sox on 35th where I ranked every team in the league from 30 to 1. And so I went into detail about depth charts, rotation, and just kind of my general thoughts about all 30 teams. And I think the White Sox, more than any other team necessarily, there might be a couple that are up there with them. I think there is a very large variation in potential outcomes for the White Sox season. Um, There are a number of things that could go wrong that could easily make the record worse than last year. There are a number of things that could go right that could greatly improve the team. Um, Or it could be very similar. Um, so I think there's a lot of things, Trans- there's kind right, of a lot so of things. Up translation the is they could be worse. They could be better, but they could also stay the same. That's very yes. insightful yes. of you. I, I know that's some <laughs> deep analysis right there. Uh, there's a reason they play the games is that projections are just projections and who knows what could happen. But the record that I settled on, uh, after some debate is I have the white Sox at 88 wins. Um, so I have them seven games better than last year, 88 wins. Uh, and I have them kind of in a shootout uh, for the top of the division, but not with Cleveland. I think Minnesota is the team that the White Sox will battle with for the division. And I don't think Cleveland will be bad. I, I don't think Cleveland's ever really bad. A bad season for Cleveland is around 500. And I think they'll be a couple games over 500. I've got Cleveland at like 83, 84 wins, but I think the twins and the white Sox are going to hover in the 88 to 90 win range. Um, For the sake of this, we will just say that the white Sox do not win the division. The twins win it by a game uh, and the white Sox will play in the wild card series. And whether or not they advance really depends on the matchup for me. Um, I'll say they do. I'll say the White Sox win the wild card series and then lose in the division series to whoever they end up playing. So that is where I'm going to officially stick my predictions. And undoubtedly, that'll be completely off. And we'll revisit this at the end of the year and probably laugh at me for thinking this. So 88 wins, a wild card series win, and a, a you don't have them winning the division, correct? I have them coming up a game short of the division okay. playing in the wild card so second series. place in the central, a wild card series win and a loss in the division series. Mitchell Kaminsky, where are you at on this team? I'm actually pretty close with Noah. I had 88 wins. I do have them winning the division. Now it was tough for me because looking at all the division winners last year, everyone was 90 or above wins, but I think the division's a lot tougher this year. I think Cleveland improved a lot during the off season. You could argue they were the most improved this offseason. I think Minnesota will be a little bit better, so they'll be tough. So because of that, I think it's going to be a dogfight, and so 88 wins will be enough to get it done and they'll win the division. This team's good. I mean, the White Sox last year had the talent. I just think they had the wrong manager at the helm, which he can be used as scapegoat, sure, but I just don't see everyone having as bad of a year as they did last year. There's too much talent on the team. I think they're far and away the most talented team in the division still, despite the lack of improvements during the offseason. So I think 88 wins will be enough to get it done. But gentlemen sweep, they get their ass kicked in the ALDS. <laughs> what, what, a, what a turn of events that was. <laughs> you go from just completely optimistic to in like two seconds of, oh, by the way, it's going to be miserable either way. 
they're good enough to win that division, but they're by no means the class of the AL. I think there's too many teams that are just a lot better. So uh, I've battled with it too, because I've been pretty adamant in the, like they're not better than they were last year on paper camp. You lost Jose Abreu. Uh, Johnny Cueto's season last year is better than anything you're going to get out of Mike Clevenger this year. Um, Dylan Cease and Lance Lynn could potentially find some regression from where they were a year ago. And the health is a major unknown. Um, so for those reasons, I have a hard time seeing where they're better. Now, I think Pedro Grafol brings an aspect of improvement to these guys who are naturally looking for bounce back seasons. The Yuan Moncadas, the, you know, Luis Roberts, Eloy Jimenez is of this team uh, where we could see some real productive baseball from them. But another thing I think is important to note is the new scheduling will give the White Sox a much, much, much harder schedule this year than last year. You are going to have to deal with the A. So for everybody that's saying, well, you went 500 last year, you went 500 last year playing a bad Twins team down the stretch, at least a bad Twins team, a really bad Royals team, and an even worse Tigers team. Yeah, but Um, the Royals kind of whooped us that's yeah, good to be fair <laughs> the royals did win the season series against the white Sox last year so <laughs> true but i mean but you're playing those teams regardless and i i wish i had the exact numbers up in front of me but i saw an mlb network that the white Sox were actually one of the teams that is has is projected to have the largest increase in games against opponents over 500 from like that they had last year to this year. So they are projected to have the second most, I think only behind Cleveland, by the way, uh, from playing in the central. So that uh, has, has me settled at 84 wins and uh, not making the playoffs. I, I think that they will be slightly improved in their record from natural, you know, bounce backs and, and progression. But ultimately I think Cleveland year after year after year gets disrespected. I literally pulled this up for this exact point, but one of you guys go ahead and take a stab at, at the last time. And this is not including the COVID year where they were on pace. They went 35 and 25. The last time that the Cleveland Indians guardians did not win 80 games in a season. I'm going to say like 2003. Okay, not quite. They were pretty bad for a little bit there, but we'll go twenty. Oh, no, they were decent. Boy, that's tough. Who... I'll help you. Two thousand twelve. Okay, I was gonna guess twenty fifteen. So kind of cool. Yeah, that's still wow. Ninety. Their win total since then are ninety two, eighty five, eighty one, ninety four, one hundred and two, ninety one, ninety three on pace for ninety three, eighty, and ninety two. They have pretty much every year, every year uh, since 2016, besides the 2021-80 win season, they've been on pace to win 93 games or done it. So this is not a team to take lightly and think that they'll be sitting around 500. I think they win the division handily again. Uh, I think they win 90 to 95 games and they go to the playoffs again. Um, This shows what a good manager in pitching can do. Yeah, I'm in pitching development, right? So Cleveland, I'm just not. I'm, I will never write them off and until the White Sox can actually beat them. Uh, it's like, it, it sucks because we were in 2021 being like, oh, the Guardians are on the downswing. We're on the way up. It's our division. 
they come back and just whoop you the next year and win 92 games and win, win the AL central. So I do not have them making the playoffs. I think it'll be more fun to watch than like the misery that was last year, but I'm skeptical about getting on board with them competing for an AL central title. So I you think, think another year of Miles Straw and Stephen Kwan hitting pop-ups that drop for triples against the White Sox? Well, their biggest issue is the lack of power, and look who they added, Santana, I, who hits a, bombs, and Zunito, who also hits bombs. So the two things just going to be still as good. Potentially some bad news for them with Tristan McKenzie. We'll see how that plays out. But word came out today that he's having some stiffness in his forearm, elbow area. So just bad news in general for, for Cleveland, but... Yeah, I mean, Oscar Gonzalez, uh, full season of him now for them. Then you add Josh Bell with Josh Naylor and Mike Zanino and Jose Ramirez and Ahmed no, Rosario. That's Santana. That's no, Santana yeah, just more men's fate, but Bell's a guy, though. But, I mean, it, it'll be Naylor, Jimenez, you know, Rose, Ramirez, and you start adding a bunch of names that are probably due to uh, just – destroy our hopes and dreams throughout an entire season. So 84 wins and no playoffs. I guess if there's one bright side about this season, it's that the Sox play Cleveland six less times this year. So we won't, we won't have to see those really, really stupid ball games that we saw all of last year as many times this year. It is weird because like you want to play the AL central, but I'm kind of excited to not play them. I'm just get them out of my face. Like I, I don't know. So, Cause like you said, a bad Royals team still finds a way to, to have our number and see us regularly and stuff. So I think they might get helped by the fact at times that they don't have to go through like the dog days of a July homestand against Kansas city and Detroit. And for whatever reason, Cleveland's always seems to be like a house of horrors for us. Like outside the Coliseum, I feel like that's probably where they seem to struggle the most. Maybe it's recency bias, but oh, I think, yes, no, for sure. The Sox usually play Detroit really well, um, and then Minnesota is more of a toss-up. But Kansas City and Cleveland are just places that you do not want to see the White Sox going to play because it usually won't go their way. Okay, that is uh, the season preview. Opening day, opening night, I should say, is Thursday. So we have, uh, see, by the time you're listening to this, we have three more sleeps until regular season White Sox baseball on our televisions. Uh Mitchell Kaminsky, I appreciate it, my man. Uh, Thank you for hopping on with us. And by the way, if you have stuck with us to the end of this podcast, vote for Mitch. Uh, We're making some madness happen in the elite. eight. So uh, vote Mitchell Kaminsky, retweet it, quote, tweet it with a vote, Mitch. We're getting him to upset Herb Lawrence uh, and head to the final four. That is the mission of this podcast for the next uh, week. Or when when does the game play? Uh, It it ends this week. So there's three more rounds. uh, So it's the next three days. So Wednesday will be the final day. I'm just hoping to cover the spread. They were predicting I was going to lose by 20 percentage points. So that's going to be my rally. But you've been been disrespected the entire time. That's right. This is a, this is a, you know, chip on your shoulder. This was, they said you were rebuilding. Nobody thought you could be here. Travis Kelsey vibes, but (laughs) beef loaf, the jabroni is uh, getting, uh, getting a lesson. Disrespect's real. Well, you know what? Great accounts win or good accounts win. Great accounts cover. Yeah, that's what so I plan to do. You're and now if to... we win, even better. That's a double. <laughs> Let me know if there's somewhere that I can uh, hammer the uh, Mitchell Kaminsky plus 20.5 percentage points, and I'm in your corner for that for sure. But... There we go. Probably better odds than Eli winning MVP. 
yeah. I'll be sure to get all 75 of my burner accounts to vote for you. So that a baby. Like, I appreciate it. You just need to like, what, what, what let's give him tips real quick. Noah. what can he do? Shotgun a claw. That seems to work for a lot of people or go. Um, some people, vote, just some people hot. vote for nudity. So the less clothing you yeah. wear, the more votes you might get. Just, yeah. Pr- pretend to have like pretend nudity stuff uh may, maybe shotgun a uh, four loco uh, in in the middle of the day there you that, go that gets votes i've heard uh, that's insulting, the issue insulting is. white Sox ownership and management uh tends to win over the fans yeah. so you could make some hate videos for rick Hahn and jerry reinsdorf it's been tough because i've had to be pretty creative with it because i just got hired to work at um, ABC 17 in Columbia here. And they have strict rules in the contract about like the degeneracy that you need to win the one away <laughs> tournament. So like, I've had to be very careful with like what I'm putting out. So it's been like times of like, Oh, I could easily do what these people are doing. But, Damn, I can't. No, you, you've done an excellent job so far. I, I've appreciated the creativity that you've put into the videos and we will certainly be uh hashtag vote for Mitch uh, throughout all week. But that's Mitchell Kaminsky. Uh, you crushed it. I knew you would. Thanks for hopping on. Please come back and do it. I love. Thanks for having me. I'd you. love to come back. I mean, I'll talk ball with you guys anytime. I mean, I listened to the first couple episodes. Great podcast. I will make sure to throw you guys a plug on Pinwheels and Ivy. I, it was a blast. There we go, man. Appreciate it. We'll see you. Have a good one.